two spiritual gifts. So last week we spent some time talking about who are you and how God has designed you. Now, before we get into stuff this week, this is important for us just to review a little bit because we're going to get into the different uh, spiritual gifts that exist in the Bible. Some are still in operation, most are still in operation, but there are some that are not, and we're going to talk about that briefly, about those things, and make sure, making sure that you guys understand that scripturally. Um, but why do we have to understand ourselves before we get into the topic of spiritual gifts? Why would that be important? Why would that be important? Go ahead. You need to be able to recognize your gifts mm-hmm. and know what Yeah, so knowing you and what you're good at and what you're not good at. Noah? It's your gift, so if you don't know yourself, you're not really know how to use it to its fullest potential. Yep, absolutely. And what else? What's another one? What's another good reason? Why? Okay, yeah. Go ahead, Sam. We'll just uh, see him. We also kind of talked about if you know yourself or you're not willing to be honest with yourself, you'll never be honest with other people. Mm-hmm. And also honest with God in your relationship. Yep. Yep, because not everybody can do all the same things, and that's very, very important. So just because somebody can do one thing, you might look up to them and say, oh, they're so super spiritual because they can do that. A lot of people tend to do that with people that preach and teach the Bible. They automatically think that somehow they are the all-star Christians, and that is simply not true. That is simply not true. There are a lot of Christians that are a lot more godly than me that don't have the ability to teach the Bible well. It's the truth. It's a gift that God has given me and I want to use it, but that does not mean that I am more spiritual than anybody else. So that's something important for you guys to really understand. And so we're going to talk about what some of those gifts are and why. Um, How many of you would say that you know exactly what your gift is and that you're ready to start using it like now? (laughs) I want to use it, whatever it is. Jack, you think you know what it is? <laughs> you don't have to share. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. No, you don't have to. Don't worry about it. Yeah, that is something that a lot of people and most people really don't know. And and I'll be honest with you, it's one of those things that I did not know when I was your guys' age until I began to start serving, and I mean like really, really serving in ministry. When I started really getting involved with teaching the Bible, and it really started with Vacation Bible School for me. That's where it really started, which is one of the reasons why we want to make that ministry available to you guys, because when you get into VBS and you get into a classroom setting, you start to find out, I totally stink at teaching. I'm not really good at it whatsoever. Or somebody comes along and says, hey, that lesson was awesome. It was clear. The kids understood it. And you had no idea that you had the ability to explain things clearly and simply. Or let's say that you kind of come together and there's some of you that are like, Man, I am terrible at organizing stuff. I mean, like, terrible. Like, I cannot do it. Like, if my life depended on it, I would not be able to do it. I would be dead. And there's other people who are like, oh, I can do that in my sleep. So there, there are certain gifts as people start to serve in ministry that they begin to manifest. They begin to make themselves very, very clear. So if you're never serving in a ministry, how can you know what your spiritual gift is? You can't. It's impossible. And so far, God has given you guys at least one ministry that you can participate in today, right now. What would that be? Salad, the crowd is salad. Salad, senior high, the senior high ministry. This ministry. And maybe like you don't know exactly salad. 
Yeah. <laughs> I know you did. I was just joking. I was making fun of you. That's right. Um, plus, it's fun to mispronounce things every once in a while. So, it is. Try it. Give it a shot once. Like on your shirt. Usa. All right. Okay. Some of you will get that later. All right. So, so anyway, so the senior high ministry is your ministry that you can actually participate in. And if I were to ask, you don't have to raise your hands for this one, but if I were to ask, how many would say that I am very active, I'm a very active participant in this ministry, and that there are things that I know exactly what I need to do, I know how to serve this ministry? I would say for the most part, most people in this room could not say that confidently. I think this ministry is a place that a lot of you guys come to hear the Bible and to get fed, and that's a portion of it. But how many of you could actually say, this is my ministry? I serve other Christians here. Because that's what it needs to be. That's what it's supposed to be. As you hear the word of God and you apply it and you begin to live it out, the best way to live it out is here amongst all of us. There is a place for you. There is a ministry for you in this ministry, for you particularly, for you to fulfill. And you should be able to know what you should be doing in this room and in this ministry. You should be able to know that. So as we kind of work through some of this stuff, hopefully it will stir the pot a little bit in your heart. And then as a result, then you can apply. And maybe there's a ministry that currently doesn't exist within our senior high ministry that you need to start, that you need to create, that you need to start doing. Even if no one else is willing to do it with you, God has gifted you to do something. So start serving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Start building them up and edifying them and encouraging them in something. So be thinking about some of those things. Okay. All right, so knowing how you fit into the body of Christ. Okay, so we spent time talking about last week, getting to know yourself, and we talked about what does God think about you, uh, which was absolutely amazing to get into, so make sure that you listen to that previous podcast if you did not get the chance to listen to that lesson. And then tonight we're going to be talking about getting to know the spiritual gifts. Okay, so there are three chapters in the Bible, uh, mainly, that lists all of the spiritual gifts. Now, if we were to go through this meticulously, you'd find out that there are 20 spiritual gifts that exist in the scriptures. Um, There are people that might split a couple of them. They might combine a couple of them. But if we're going to take a look at them from the biblical perspective, there are 20. And out of those 20, there are two that I put in asterisks there, one with a single asterisk uh, and then another with a double asterisk. And these are gifts that are no longer in operation or they are in partial operation, which we're going to talk about uh, during this church age. So that's important for us to really understand and then we're going to talk about those three uh, in specifically apostleship, prophecy, and then what the sign gifts actually are. So let's just go through this list really quick, and um, and we don't we'll hit the chapters and the where they are where they're located in Ephesians four, First Corinthians twelve, uh, and in Romans chapter twelve. We'll hit those as we go through each one of them because I want to spend some time working through what is this gift, and then for you to think about do I have that gift or I clearly don't have that gift. So that way you understand that. Uh, And some of it, you're like, well, maybe I have that gift. And then as you start serving, God will make it very, very clear if you have that gift or if you don't. All right. So along with this, let's go ahead and read through this list. And we will explain them just very, very briefly. And then we will get into the ones that are no longer in operation or in partial operation. Okay. So if you take all 20 of the gifts, they kind of neatly fit within four different categories. There are revealing gifts. There are confirming gifts, there are speaking gifts, and then there are serving gifts. Now, within all of these, I didn't put them in any particular order, uh, but with revealing gifts, you have number one, apostleship, and number two, prophecy, number three, word of wisdom, number four, word of knowledge, 
and number five, faith. Now, these gifts are primarily, when it comes to revealing, it's revealing truth or uncovering truth. Now, the apostles were at one point in time, and they are no longer around. If you were an apostle, that was your role, that was your gift. It happened within one generation, and it was over, and we're going to talk about that and why. There is no such thing as a modern-day apostle. There are a lot of charismatic or Pentecostal churches that are out there that may call their church leaders apostles, and that is not biblical. That is not biblical at all, and we'll talk about why that's not biblical. Number two, prophecy. Now, this is one that is in partial operation, and we'll talk about this uh, when we get down to it a little bit further. But prophecy really deals with two things. There's two aspects of prophecy. And so one is foretelling, and the other is forthtelling. What are the differences between those two? Foretelling and forthtelling. Okay, which one's future? Foretelling, and then forthtelling. Okay, something that's already been revealed, and then you expound on it. So let me give you a really good example on this one, okay? All right, so back in the book of Acts, you had this guy named Paul, who God personally revealed things to him about the church, right? Then he wrote those things down in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is what reveals the mystery or the doctrine of the church. No one knew about it before. No one knew anything about it before. And so what he did is he wrote down what the church is, its existence, its purpose, its structure, what they will be in the future, and how God will be exalted through them in the future. And that is foretelling. Foretelling. What is the church going to be doing in the future? So he revealed all of it. All right. Another good example of foretelling is back in the book of Daniel. Back in the book of Daniel, God revealed unto Daniel the entirety of the kingdoms of Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, the, the Greek Empire, the, 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 uh, the Romans that would come in, and even into the future with the Antichrist and the Millennial Kingdom of Jesus Christ. And this was way back in Daniel's time. So God told Daniel how everything was going to unfold during that period of time, and Daniel wrote all those things down, so he foretold what was going to occur before it even occurred. I mean, in minute detail. If you were to study out the book of Daniel, you'll find out that no one knew anything about the Greek Empire. No one knew anything about its ruler, its emperor. Who is who? Alexander Alexander the Great. No one knew anything about Alexander the Great. And yet Daniel, in great detail, writes about Alexander the Great, how he would conquer, and what would happen after he died and all the conflicts that would occur after his death. Like, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. All right? So that would be foretelling. Now, forthtelling, forthtelling would be explaining something that has already been revealed. And I'll give you a great example of that one. It's what we're doing right now. We're going into the scriptures here in a minute, and I am expounding unto you something that has already been revealed from the scriptures. <coughs> that God is supernaturally, he supernaturally uh, wanted you guys to know. He's recorded it in the scriptures. And now I am taking these things, unpacking them, and expounding them to you. So in a weird way, I am also a prophet but not in the way that you're thinking, <laughs> because I can't foretell you anything. Although, actually, I could. I could actually tell you what's going to happen in the end because of what happens in Revelation. So I can tell you things are going to be happening in the future. Just to lay that. But that's all I know. I don't know anything outside of this book. <laughs> all right. So there's two aspects of prophecy, and that's why I say that it's in, it's in partial operation today. You need prophets within the church. You need people that are, that are able to unpack biblical truth and, and different things in as far as doctrines are concerned and to be able to expound those things clearly to people. 
All right, that has to happen. But there is not anyone today that is going to step onto the scene and said, I have a word from God and he has told me that you are going to, and then X, Y, and Z, and just explain to you specifically how things are going to unfold. That does not occur today. That does not occur today. And a really good answer as to why is because the Bible, according to 1 Peter, talks about how God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness already. He has completed his word. It is finished. Everything that we need to how to live life properly and orderly and godly is already given to us. There's nothing more that's needed. If an angel showed up at my doorstep and said, hey, I have a word from God to you, how would I be able to know that it is God's word? By comparing what the angel said to the Bible. Okay, so if I have to take the time to stop and, and hear what that angel or that prophet has to say to me and compare it with the scriptures, then what need do I have of that person when it's already here? Right? And this is what a lot of people miss out on. Because here's the other side of it, and this is what people don't think about. The devil has supernatural powers, and he's able to do lying signs and wonders, as it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And if he can do lying signs and wonders, then how do I know that what I'm being told is actually from God? Well, okay, I compare it with the scripture. Perfect, that's all I need. But then why do I even need that? I don't even need that thing or whatever it is because I already have the Bible. So chances are that person that's coming to me and telling me those things is not from God. It's from the devil. It's from the enemy of God. So just a couple things to think about because a lot of people don't think that way. So, all right, let's move on. And you got word of wisdom, word of knowledge. And these are people that have the ability to have just wisdom. They just know things or they're very wise about certain things or word of knowledge, a similar thing. Uh, they have the ability to, to have knowledge about certain things. There, there are people that are very, very discerning when it comes to matters, when it comes to spiritual things, that they can give you answers like right away because they have that ability and God has given that to them. Or people that have great faith. There are some people that are out there that they can't necessarily explain to you why they believe God. They just do. And they have great peace about it. And there are others that don't have that gift. And so that's a gift that God has given some people. Then you have confirming gifts. And confirming gifts, most of those are not in operation anymore. And we're going to talk about why. That would involve healing, uh, miracles, discerning of spirits, and the tongues and interpretation of tongues. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But mainly, those things were in operation for one purpose, and it was to confirm the word in the works of God. So when God was doing something or he was saying something, there would be a sign that would accompany that or a gift that would accompany that to confirm that, yes, this is what God is doing. And we'll talk about why that was important. Then you've got the speaking gifts, and that would be evangelism. There are some people that are just absolutely fantastic, and they're very creative on how to witness to somebody. They're able to lead people to the Lord very, very easily for whatever reason. Um, I don't believe that I have that gift. Um, but there are people in our church that, I mean, they'll just have one conversation with a random stranger, and they'll lead them to the Lord. like, <laughs> And I'm like, that's incredible. They just have that ability. Um, then you have teacher Someone who has the ability to teach the Bible very, very well or to teach spiritual principles very, very well, very clearly in an under, in, able to be understood manner. Uh, pastors. Pastors are people that lead other Christians. Um, and then you have exhortation. Someone who is just an encourager. They're able to exhort people very, very well. And then you have serving gifts. 
And so serving gifts of volunteer helps. There are people that just love to help and they have just the ability to help and they're really, really good at it. They're able to foresee people's needs and to really do whatever they can to help them. Uh, ministering, it's a similar gift there too, but it's more on the spiritual side. Uh, giving, there are some people that are just amazing at giving. They just love to give. Uh, and they sometimes just give and give and give. And people give of their time, they give of their money. Uh, they're just givers. Uh, governments, this would be more of administration. People that have the ability to organize and execute things very, very well within a ministry or within uh, a group of people. Ruling, um, that's someone who has the ability to make very good, quick decisions uh, according to the wisdom that God has given them. And we'll talk about that in the future weeks. Uh, people that have the gift of mercy, that they're very merciful. They're very, very merciful towards other people. And it helps people and encourages them in their walk with God. And then lastly, you have the gift of singleness. So these are people that have no desire to get married. They have no desire to get married. No desire to get married. No desire to get married. I'll repeat that um, since you guys like to pick on each other about that one. Okay. Um, they have no desire to get married and they would much rather just serve God the rest of their lives and not have a family. They just do. I think those people are very, very rare, but I do think there's people that are out there that are like that, um, and we'll talk about that in future weeks. So when we take a look at all 20 of these, maybe there's one or two in here, or maybe there's several that you're like, you know what, I might have that one, or I don't know if I have that one. Start thinking about that. Start thinking about the way that God has made you, what we talked about last week, uh, your personality, the things you're good at, the things you're not good at, um, things that people have told you that you're good at. Whatever it might be, there might be several in here that you might think that you have. So what we're going to talk about first, though, is I want to talk about these gifts that are no longer in operation or they are in partial operation. And so I want to make sure those are very, very clear. And I want to explain from the scriptures why those things are no longer in operation or they have reverted to a partial operated state uh, during the church age. Okay. so any questions so far before we move on to this next part? Yes, Jack. Okay, awesome. All right, thank you for that <laughs> great pause. Okay. Jack didn't see his gift on the list. I was, uh, <laughs> I was, I was, yeah, you know what? Never mind. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> Sounds grand. Okay, moving on then. Minded never. Okay. All right. So first of all, let's talk about apostleship. All right. So the gift of apostleship is a foundational gift foundational, that's your blank there, foundational gift that is no longer necessary. It's a foundational gift that is no longer necessary after the church and its proper order was established through the scriptures. So let's go to Ephesians 2.20. Ephesians 2.20. Ephesians 2.20. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Okay, as I mentioned before, the book of Ephesians is the book that reveals the church, what the church is, how it was formed, what its purpose is, what its purpose is in the future, everything. It's an incredible book in related to that. Uh, it divides very, very neatly. Chapters 1 through 3 talks about the wealth that you have in Christ, and then 4, 5, and 6 tells you what your walk should be like in Christ. And kind of tucked in there between uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2, we got this verse. So I'm going to read Ephesians 2.20. Noah. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Okay, so looking at the end of 19, it's talking about the household of God, <coughs> talking about us being in the household of God. And so this household is built 
upon a foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And then it says in verse 21, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Okay, so he likens the body of Christ to a building. Anyone knows, even if you don't know much about building, you have to have a proper foundation. You have to. Like, you have to. I mean, there's just no other way around it. Even if you have just very little experience from Legos, you know that it is much better to have a foundation to build upon rather than having no foundation that your walls are just going all over the place. All right? Okay. So the foundation is Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone. Now, when you take a look at that, I'll use this as an example. So when you're the cornerstone, historically, what you would have is that any time the building would be built, they would pick a certain corner, okay? And this is looking down upon that foundation. And so Jesus Christ is that cornerstone. But then from that cornerstone, you would then build the rest of the foundation. That was poor. <laughs> Let's just do this. <laughs> okay. All right. Then you would end up building the rest of that foundation, okay? And you would continue building that foundation, all right? All the way across, boom, 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 until everything is finished, all right? Now, if this cornerstone was jacked up, no pun, sorry, sorry, Jack. If this cornerstone was that, or there was a crack in it, or whatever, then you're going to be completely off. Or let's say this edge was completely off, and so then you end up building this way, and this way, it's just going to be complete. You need a perfect cornerstone. It needs to be exact, it needs to be sure, it needs to be 100% you can count on this cornerstone. So Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the foundation. And then from there, you have all these other pieces and parts that then build that foundation before then you build on top of that foundation. And according to Ephesians 2.20, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. And then what's the rest of the foundation? Apostles and prophets. Yes, the apostles and the prophets. All right? So once the foundation is built, is there need for another foundation? No. No. So right away you know that at some point those gifts are going to go away. They have to because there's only one foundation. So these people that believe that apostles can exist today are simply not true. It's just they're, they're lying to themselves. They're not biblical. They're not thinking properly on this. When it comes to that foundation, there are apostles and prophets and Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Once that foundation is laid, you do not lay another foundation. So the apostles were only one generation. There was only one generation of guys that were together as leaders of the church at the very, very beginning to lay that foundation. If one of those apostles messed up something, how big were the consequences? Massively huge. Massively huge. They needed to be the right guys. And, I mean, you just know this from anything. I mean, just with anything. How many of you have ever taken directions on how to build something and then you get all the way in, and you're like, oh, I need to go back. I need to undo all this stuff and then rework it. I knew I should have followed those directions in the first place. Okay. So it's kind of like that. You have the instruction manual, the Word of God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God. Then you have the apostles that laid that foundation. If that foundation was off, the rest of the building would be completely off. So they needed to be the right guys. But after the foundation is built, there's no need for them again. Okay, here's the other reason why we know that this is something that is no longer in existence today. Point number two here. There are specific requirements for the office of an apostle, and they are the following. 
They had to be an eyewitness of Jesus' life, his ministry, and his resurrection. And they had to be ordained by Jesus Christ himself. So anyone that is an apostle today, that has not happened. It's just simply not happened. They did not observe with their own two eyes Jesus' life from the moment that he was baptized by John the Baptist and all the things that he did in his ministry. They did not witness his death. They did not witness his resurrection. And Jesus Christ did not call them out specifically and ordain them to be apostles. So that is absolutely critical. It's exactly what it says in Acts chapter 1 and in 1 Corinthians 15. They had to be eyewitnesses and they had to be ordained by Jesus himself. Okay? It's very important. Very, very important. And the only one that was the slight anomaly to that one was Paul. Tell me why. Why was he the anomaly? Jack. Because uh, that like, happened after Jesus died. Yeah, and? He was supposed to Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. All right, you want to you add on to it? He never witnessed uh, his resurrection. Well, I mean, he saw him like Jesus pulled him aside, but wasn't Jesus off the planet by that time? Yeah. I mean, he wasn't really one of the disciples either, so he wasn't walking around with Jesus' life. But he didn't see he it. He would have heard of it. But... Yeah, he would have saw it, because he would have been among the Pharisees and Sadducees. He, he learned under the feet of Gamaliel, which means he would have saw Jesus' life and his ministry, so he would have qualified. And he did see Jesus resurrected... Right? Wasn't it like a, a supernatural, like he came down and like... It was, yeah, it was super. So, so Paul is the only one where Jesus basically left heaven, came down, revealed his resurrected body to Paul on the road to Damascus. And then at that moment, he called him and he did tell him at that point in time. So he did ordain him that you are going to be a witness unto Gentiles and to kings. And you're going to be witnessing to many different people for my name's sake. So he's just the oddball because it didn't happen to everybody else. Yes, exactly. So he's the oddball. Yeah. So he was the oddball because Jesus had to supernaturally reveal his resurrection through other means. But yeah, he was an apostle. But he specifically says he was one born out of due time. So it's a little bit different. But he still meets all the qualifications of the apostle. Did a guy like pull him aside like teach him for a couple of years too. Yeah, out in the desert. Yeah, exactly. So he actually did disciple Paul. So, okay. All right, okay. So that's the only anomaly that's a little bit different. All right, so is everybody clear on that? Good on that? Yes. Okay, all right. Anyone ever run into anything like this before? No. Okay. People being apostles? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Andy used to date one. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that was great. I love that story. You can ask Andy about that later. Ask Andy about yeah, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. Okay. He's a nice person. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Okay. Okay, so that deals with apostleship. So if you ever get exposed to any sort of uh, Pentecostal or charismatic backgrounds, um, chances are there tend to be more of the hyper-charismatics that would then believe in modern-day prophets, modern-day apostles, and things like that. Um, so if you have not had any exposure to that, it's just because you haven't been in those circles. But once you go in those circles, you'll definitely be exposed to that. Do they have like an anchor verse for that, or is it just something that they take out of context with they just following the lineage? Of- yeah, they just follow the lineage. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know of any, because they don't even really know their Bible, so they don't have a verse they can really go to. So, yeah. It, they call it apostolic secession, similar to the Catholic Church. So. No, not necessarily, because it's all spiritual. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, so we good on that one? Apostleship, done? Okay, all right, moving on. All right, prophecy, prophecy. Okay, so this gift is a foundational gift in the verse we just read. 
um, that is no longer necessary with the completed written revelation of the Bible. So as I mentioned before, if someone has the gift of prophecy and they're coming to me and they're saying, God has given me a new revelation or a new word or new something, and then I'm like, okay, great, what is it? Because I want to know what God has to tell me. And they tell me, and then I say, okay, hold on. I take what they say, and I compare it to what the Bible already says. Then I have no need for that prophet because it's already in the scriptures. I just need to get my nose and my eyes in the Bible. I need to read the word of God for myself. So that's generally how that is explained. Uh, most people are okay with that kind of explanation, but there are some people that really are not. And so um, there's just a couple of things that I wanted to mention to you guys um, on this one. Um, let's see here. Let's go to... Oh... First Corinthians 13. Let's do First Corinthians 13. All these verses are really, really good, but I'm trying to pick out the best ones just for the sake of time. Because I want to get to these last ones, which are ones that you may run into a little bit more and can be a little bit more confusing. First Corinthians 13. Okay, First Corinthians 13. All right. So this is the great charity chapter talking about love, um, selfless love, um, Christ-like love. Verse 8, charity never faileth, but where, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Uh, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And then he explains this. When I was a child... I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, no, or now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I also am known. Now abideth, now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. So this concept that he says in verse 9 and 10, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. This is a great biblical pattern that God uses all over the place, all over the place. And just within the context, we're going to apply this to just the word of God in a second. The reason why prophets were needed at this point in time is because the scriptures were not completed. Now, the thing about the Bible that's important for you to understand, and I have this as a cross-reference on your guys' study sheet, Psalm 119.89. Anyone know that verse? Psalm 119.89. Forever. <laughs> Someone look it up. Anyone? Give me a volunteer. Psalm 1989. Reese, look that one up. All right, and then let me get a couple more uh, volunteers. Deuteronomy 4 2. Who wants that one? Noah. Uh, Proverbs 30, verse 6. Sam. And you can take the last one. Take Revelation 22, 18, and 19. Okay. So, yeah, 22, 18, and 19. Okay, so the ones before 1 Corinthians, I had Revelation 19.10 and 19.13. And the reason why I wanted to put those ones in there is for this reason, okay? In those two verses, it talks about how um, that Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, okay? So the spirit of prophecy, it talks about Jesus, who he is, and it reveals things about Jesus. But then it says in verse 13 of that same chapter that Jesus' name is called the word of God, all right? It's very important for us to understand because that also means that the Bible is the spirit of prophecy, which makes perfect sense because that's how the Bible was even written. You had men that received the word of God from God and they wrote it down. The Holy Spirit of God moved men and then those men had it written down either by themselves or by other people and that's how we got the scriptures. So this whole book has been given to us by prophecy. So God revealed that knowledge to a man. That man wrote it down or he had someone write it down as he was speaking it to them. 
Very simple to understand. So Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. His name is called the word of God. Psalm 119, verse 89. Go ahead and read that one. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Okay, so tucked in there in Psalms 119, 89, it says forever that God's word is settled in heaven. Forever. So think about this for a second. When it comes to God's word, it always has existed. I know. This book has always existed. Forever. Forever. Before human history began to unfold, before God even told men what to write down, God knew what he wanted to be written down. He knew the events. He knew the people. He knew everything. And when it was time for him to reveal that to that person at that time, he then told that person, and they ended up writing it down. So the Bible has existed forever. That shouldn't come as a shock to anybody. I mean, it's kind of weird because we think of this as just an ordinary book. This is God's book. Like, before human history even began, do you think God knew everything from the beginning to the end? And the end to the beginning? Yes. And that's why when he told Abraham to write down the events of Joseph and Joseph's life, the reason why God did that is because he knew that there was going to be a person named Jesus Christ that was going to come in the future and was going to fulfill all the things that he was telling Abraham to write down about Joseph. So this book has always been around. And it's always going to be around. This book is going to govern how God does things into eternity future. Because it's governed everything that he's done so far. So if God's word is that important, which is pretty stinking important, by the way, do you not think that this is everything that we would ever need? Because now we actually have it in front of us in a written form. The answer would be yes. Okay, all right, good. Okay, so I would much rather depend upon this as my final authority than any person coming to me saying that they're a prophet that has some new word from God. And the other thing that makes me very much, much more comfortable about this is that it's in a written form, which means I can read it with my own two eyes. How many of you ever had something unfold in your life that you just completely forget about? Anybody? Okay. Or maybe you repeat it to somebody and you get the facts wrong. Okay. All right. Because you see it from your perspective that person sees it from their perspective, and chances are they're not going to be aligned in any, any other testimony. I mean, you can talk to Andy about this one, too. So talk to Andy about his charismatic girlfriend that was an apostle, and then talk to Andy about this one, too. Okay. When Andy's on the job and he has to get witnesses, do you know how hard it is for police officers to get witnesses that actually agree together about the events? It's very, very difficult. Very rarely do their, their own testimony and their witness actually agree together. And it's because it's skewed through human perception. This is not skewed through human perception. It's not. So I know that this is objectively true apart from anyone's feelings or emotions and what they think or even how I think or even how I feel, which is why the Bible is in charge and I'm not and you're not. So that's very important for you guys to understand with this concept. Okay. And then the other thing is that God gives some very strict warnings because if that's the way it is about his scriptures, it's for, if it's forever existed, then he gives some very specific warnings. He gives one at the beginning of the Bible, one in the middle, and one at the end. So listen to Deuteronomy 4 2. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Okay. So what does God say? Don't add to it. Don't add and don't take away, diminish. Don't take away from it. All right. Listen to Proverbs 30, verse 6. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and not be found a liar. Don't add to him. Because if you add to God's words, you're going to be a liar, because God didn't say that. 
A lot of people do that today. A lot of people read their Bible and then they add to it what they think it says. And God's like, no, no, you're a liar. That's not what I said. Now you read the Bible and whatever, whatever it says, that's what you take from it. All right, and then listen to Revelation 22, 18 and 19. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book, the book and this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Okay, so don't add, don't take away. Very simply, but he does it in Deuteronomy, then he does it in Proverbs, and then he does it in Revelation. Three places in the scriptures God says, don't add, don't take away. Very important to understand. So prophecy is something that is in partial operation just because we have a written word of God and we can expound what this says. In that sense, it's prophecy. But no one is coming along to saying, hey, I have something new from God. Yeah. With prophecy, like, I mean, I know it's not, it's not true, but like, people that, like, read poems and stuff, are they, like, trying to take from this gift, or is this kind of different because it's, like, they're not saying it's, like, coming straight from God, and they're just trying to tell your future? Well, okay, so there's several things. I think there's people that are counterfeiters that they're just able to read people really, really well, and they have the ability to do certain things in order to lead people to think a certain way, and then they're thinking that they're actually telling the future when they're really not. Or they are actually possessed by a devil who actually can tell them supernatural things that no one else would ever know. So I do think that that is legitimately happening as well. So, yeah. And I think there are people that call themselves Christians that are actually possessed by devils that are doing supernatural things as well in the name of Jesus. So... Mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now this last one. Uh, man, we do not have time to cover this in the right, proper way. Um, okay. Go to Acts chapter two. I'm just going to go through this one chapter. Man, it's warm in here, isn't it? Okay. What's that? Yeah, Acts 2. Okay, so I'm going to give you guys these notes, and I'm going to quote some things to you, but I have literally in front of you something that you need to dive into a little bit, okay? So you really need to dive into this, okay? So sign gifts. In general, this is the reason for sign gifts. Sign gifts were given to the apostles and to the disciples specifically for one reason. God was doing something new in the book of Acts. He was transitioning away from the Jews to the Gentiles, because the Jews rejected him. And in the process, in the process, God still desired for the Jews to be saved. And so God did something very, very important. He still wanted to reach them. And so he gave them a sign. He gave them a sign gift that God was operating and doing something. And this isn't anything new. The Jews were always looking for a sign. Do you guys remember in the gospels where the Pharisees were like, Jesus, we desire to see a sign from thee. You remember them saying that? Well, that's why. Because it goes all the way back to Moses. And I have that as part of your guys' cross-references, Exodus chapter 4. When Moses showed up on the scene, the first time, the Jews rejected him, right? And then he went away into the desert, and then he came back as an 80-year-old man, and he was going to be their deliverer. And he told God, God, they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to hear me. They're not going to believe me. And God said, okay, I am going to give you signs that you're going to show unto them. And there were three. Anyone know what they were? There were three. First one. Okay. Yep, there's the staff. So he had his rod. He threw it on the ground. It became a snake. And he grabbed it by the tail and it became a staff again. Leprosy. Yep, leprosy. So the gift of healing where he would put his hand into his drug rug. 
And he would pull it out and there would be leprosy. And then he'd put it in again and it would be healed. Now, no one got healed from leprosy. No one did. There's no cure for leprosy. And then the third one. <laughs> What's that? Supernatural karate? What's that? <laughs> nope, not that one. Spiritual hokey pokey? Close. No. Yes. Blood. So he would take a cup of water, he poured on the ground and it become blood. Okay? So those three things that he gave him. And so when he went to the nation of Israel, as he said, how do, we, how do we know that you came from God? And so then he did the three things. Rod on the ground, snake, grabbed it by the tail. And by the way, you don't ever grab a snake by the tail. Anyone know why? <laughs> it will bite you, all right? Okay, but that's why this was like, oh, dude, this guy, he's something else. All right, so he grabbed it by the tail, became a staff again. Then he had the leprosy thing. Ah! <sighs> it's healed. And then he'd have his bottle of water, because, you know, they had bottled water back then. And then he poured on the ground and it would become blood. All right. So based on those three things, they believed Moses and they're like, okay, we trust you. We believe you. We're going to follow you. The Jews have always been that way ever since. So when Jesus showed up, he came doing signs and wonders because Moses said, there is going to come the prophet who will be like unto me. He's going to be doing signs and wonders. So Jesus shows up. He's doing signs and wonders to confirm he's the one that Moses prophesied of. And the Jews then flat out rejected him. So then God still cares for the Jews. He still wants them to get into his plan. And so he gives the apostles and the prophets and other disciples the ability to do supernatural gifts. And among those, he specifically calls out in Mark 16 that they're going to have the ability to do healing. And they're going to have the ability to do tongues and the interpretation of tongues, among other miracles as well. Okay? So that's what he specifically tells them. So you've got to understand 1 Corinthians one twenty-two and 14.22. 1 Corinthians 1.22 says that Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. See, we don't care about signs. We, we, need, we need things to make sense because we're Greek-minded. But the Jews, it doesn't matter if it makes sense, they need to see a sign. Chapter 14, verse 22 says that the sign gifts, specifically tongues, are for unbelieving Jews. Unbelieving Jews. Not Gentiles. Unbelieving Jews. Okay, so that means that anyone today that is speaking tongues or healing, they are not even doing it biblically whatsoever. And in Acts chapter 2, I just want to show you this one example, and then maybe we can spend some time talking about this in our review next week, as I want to show you this one example. Has anyone ever experienced tongues before? No. Okay, I got my Pentecostals over here, and there's another one over there. Oh, okay. But your family comes from a Pentecostal background. Yeah, I do it before I go to bed. Okay, whatever. All right, let's just ignore everything Jack says from here on out. Okay, has anyone ever experienced tongues before? Someone speaking in tongues? Okay, explain to me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just remember being freaked out by it. Yes. So. I mean, I haven't witnessed it, but they kind of go flailing around and yelling off some gibberish that's not even the language, and then, you know, you've been interpreted by other... I mean, that's how you've had a true connection with God. Yes. Yeah. You're speaking, like, an angelic language. Right. It's called Baptism of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> And I have a couple of videos that we can watch next week and we'll, we'll watch it where there's an event where people are actually speaking in tongues and then there's a testimony of a girl who explains what happened to her when she spoke in tongues and everything that unfolded. But basically, you lose the ability to just speak normal words. You come under this sort of a, 
Um, I call it an emotional high because that's really what it is. But you come under this emotional experience where you all of a sudden just let loose and then your mouth just starts speaking just gibberish. It is just flat, flat out just gibberish. Yeah. Are just talking like that, or is this like they're doing that on purpose and they're just saying that there's a kind of like? Okay, so there's two things there. Most people that experience it actually believe it's legitimate, and I would say they just they literally they literally lose control. <laughs> then there's the other side, which also falls under another great story for Andy Spate of the time where he spoke in tongues where he did not, and he just made it up on the spot just to fit in. So, you can ask him about that one, too, which is absolutely fantastic. Okay, so, so we got three stories. In those moments, if you're not speaking in tongues, they literally, like, it's like bullying. Yes. Like, you are not saved, you are not baptized by the Holy Spirit if you are not speaking in tongues. And so there's this element of, like, you're legitimately feeling guilty thinking, okay, I'm, this God not loves me. Yeah. Am I not getting blessed with tongues because yes. there's something wrong with me? Yes. Because it's all about what's wrong with you. You can't speak tongues because there's something wrong with you. So in his defense, and I've been in that situation too, like, it's almost like if you don't, you can't be a part of the group. Yeah. So you have to. Yes. Yes. Yeah, very good. So when it comes to that, I would just want to show you this one thing from Acts chapter 2, all right? What's happening today with the whole idea of tongues is not biblical because tongues have always been the supernatural ability to know a language, an actual language that was previously unknown to the speaker. I do not know how to speak Mandarin Chinese. If all of a sudden I have the ability to speak it fluently and someone is in this room who speaks Mandarin Chinese and they hear it fluently and they make no mistakes, that is a supernatural gift. It is a known language, is the ability for a person to speak something in a language that they have no idea that they're speaking, not necessarily, and they've never known that language prior. That's what the Bible says. It has nothing to do with gibberish, losing control, some sort of ecstatic experience. It has nothing to do with that. Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read this real quick and then we'll be done. All right. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, verse 1, verse 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Spirit gave them the ability to speak different languages, other tongues. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven, which specifically says from different nations. Now, when this was noise abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. See that? Every man from all these other nations, when these people spoke, these guys heard whatever they were saying in their own native language. That's exactly what it says. And this is why it says in verse 7, And they, all, they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Are not these, all these which speak, Galileans? How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And then it lists the specific countries, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya and about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. There is no gibberish happening here. None. You have a group of people that have come together from like 20 different nations 
that speak different languages, different dialects of even the same, of similar languages. And when these people leave the upper room who are from Galilee, they're going out and they're speaking and they're preaching and they're talking about Jesus Christ. And the words that are coming out of their mouth are fluent in their, those guys, languages and dialects. So they're like, wait a minute, aren't these guys Galileans? How is it that we hear them speak in our own native tongue, wherein we were born? And God makes it very clear, and he lists the countries and the areas, tells them where they're from. See, this is what's going on here. So the things that are happening in places like Faith Family, like Assemblies of God churches, and other Pentecostal churches is completely and totally unbiblical which means that what they're doing is not from God. And I don't mean that to dog on them. I want you to know that they have been duped. They have been absolutely duped by the devil, has nothing to do with God whatsoever. Because every time you see tongues show up in the Bible, it is always known languages. Always, 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 always. And that's where we'll stop. So we'll talk more about this next week in our review and we'll hit why it's that way and why it's signed gifts um, and why God operated it that way in next week. If you have any questions about this, then you can let me know. And we'll take a look at a couple of videos explaining um, some of these things as well. All right. So let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity that it brings. I pray, God, that we would believe what you say over what we think and what we feel and even what other people say, that we'd trust your words above all else. So thanks for our time together tonight. I pray that this was helpful to everyone in the room. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.